I thought I'd start this morning um, with a, um, a little testimony that uh, came through over text, hence the fact I'm looking at my phone, not you. Um, from uh, last Sunday evening, um, we have uh, a number of uh, form students who are doing a gap year with us, and we have a little text group that we text on. So midway through the worship at the evening gathering last week, I received this text from one of them. Anyone else hear the angels? Someone responded, sadly not. So I asked, what, what, what can you hear? What can you hear? And this is the testimony that came through from one of them of what, what they could hear during the worship um, in the evening. It sounded like hundreds of voices that were all perfect. Like I couldn't hear myself or the people around me. Just these beautiful, loud voices singing. Isn't that incredible? I just thought I'd share that with you for encouragement. That Maybe it's not something we think about um, every day, but there is a reality of the heavenly realms all around us. Um, uh, and angels around. The angels are currently worshipping around the throne of God, and we join in with it. Um, that's what we're doing this morning. But it also encourages me that God is very present. Uh, we're not having to kind of twist his arm um, because we're so awful to come and meet with us. He's dealt with that on the cross. We're welcomed in. We have access. And that stuff's going on. Every now and again, we get a glimpse, often through the word, sometimes through things like hearing hundreds of angels so be listening out uh, in this uh, gathering today. Who knows what the Lord might be saying to you. Um, so on that note, this morning, um, the, the bit of scripture that I'm preaching on is titled Sexual Immorality. <laughs> Wonderful. I hope you're all excited. Strap yourself in. Um, uh, Lily, just before uh, we started uh, in the last song, and sorry at the beginning of um, hearing about what you've been doing in Nepal, was just shouting boobies at the top of her voice. So she is completely on message with this. You can probably take that out of the recording, sorry. <laughs> Never said that in a sermon before. So Lily knows what's going on. She's in the zone. So let's read from 1 Corinthians together. And it's in chapter 6 this morning, beginning at verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. So judging by uh, the reading today, uh, and the title of this section, if you're looking in the Bible, um, you'll be expecting a talk from me on sexual immorality. 
Um, uh, and we'll touch on that because it does talk about sexual immorality in this passage. Uh, but uh, from reading the text, it seems that Paul has something uh, more profound, more deep to say to the church in Corinth than simply the commands about what they can and can't do. He's drawing them back to something true, something wholesome and something of Christ. Um, and, and namely, that is how we treat our bodies. He's talking about the body, our view of our bodies and what we do with them. Uh, I would say it's probably down to our biblical viewpoint of physicality, of matter, of what we view the body as. So I have a PowerPoint slide that I'm going to repeatedly forget I have. So I'll have a go with this. Um, but isn't it wonderful that Christianity is not a rule book? I'm quite thankful for that on a daily basis, that it's not a rule book. It's not a killjoy. It's not a, a, a book that says, stop enjoying sex. It's not another self-help moral teaching. But rather, it's about following Jesus, who we believe is the Son of God, who we believe is alive, risen, ascended. Every time I preach, I get to look at that window at the back of the ascended Jesus, which you can see when you walk in the church through the glass, is over us. The ascended Jesus. It's a reminder to us constantly that he's risen, alive, ascended, and seated on the throne. But we're called, Christianity is to live like the kingdom of God, and that is the rule and reign of the King of Kings, to live like the kingdom of God is near, closer than the air that we breathe, and see it transform our lives and then transform the world around us. So this includes how we view our bodies, fundamentally how we view our bodies. I don't know whether you noticed this morning, but you have a body. Just pinch yourself, just so you know, you have a body. We have a body, and they're God-given, they're God-made, they're God-designed. So a right view of the body will inform a right view and context for sex based upon hope and joy rather than rules and regulations, which is what Paul is wanting us to arrive at. And ultimately, what he's seeking to do in this passage is for us to live, verse 20, and a little bit before. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So what does Paul tell us about the body in this passage? The first thing is this. The body is for the Lord. Your body has been given to you for one reason, and that is to be an instrument to glorifying Christ. It says so in verse 20. You are, with your body, meant to be glorifying Christ. We're made in the image of God. We had physicality uh, by design from the beginning. God said that his creation of mankind was very good. We read it in Genesis. He says that you, the way he designed you, is very good. And it is from this being made in the image of God that we get our intrinsic worth and our, our significance. It all begins from there before we've done anything. We're made for purpose, but we're also made for relationship with God, yes, but also with one another. We're made with bodies to represent God, to be a living bodily representative of the King of Kings. That's the first thing that Paul says about the body in this passage. The second thing is this. No. Oh, there we go. The Lord is for the body. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. Because he made it, and he says it's very good, 
but also that we see it amazingly in Jesus Christ, don't we? We see that he became incarnate. We talk about it at Christmas a lot. He became flesh and blood. He was born of a woman, became flesh, moved into the neighbourhood physically, is what it says in some translations. Ultimately, to show us who God was like, what God was like, and to physically die on a cross for your body. Have you ever thought that Jesus physically died on a cross for your body? He died for your body. He's so for your body that he sent his Holy Spirit to live in your body. We become, Paul says, temples of the Holy Spirit. A guy called Tom Wright puts it like this. He's good if you ever get confused over New Testament passages like me. Uh, Tom Wright puts it like this. Those in whom the Spirit comes to live, that's those who have accepted Jesus into their lives, you then receive the Spirit Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually on your own and corporately when we're together like this. Places where heaven and earth meet. You are a dwelling place of God. Your body is a dwelling place of God. Just nudge your neighbour in case they're asleep and just say you're a dwelling place of God. Give them a good elbow in the ribs. Come on, let's not be too Christian about it. Wonderful. Not too hard. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. The Lord will raise your body. If we want any further proof that God is for the body, for matter, that matter matters, if you like, then we look at the resurrection of Jesus we look at the physical resurrection of Jesus. He wasn't just a wisp. He wasn't just a disembodied entity. Uh, We see someone touch the holes in his hands physically. And we see him eating breakfast with his friends. We also see him walk through locked doors. (laughs) I don't know whether you've ever read the resurrection narratives. We see him walk through locked doors, transport from one place to another. But this is probably because he had a perfect resurrection body that we look forward to. And this is how our bodies were always meant to be, with no fallenness, with no sin, with no corruption, with no disease. Jesus is almost more real than reality, if you like, when he's resurrected. A door is no barrier to him. I don't know if you've ever considered that. C.S. Lewis talks about grass being somehow greener than it ever has been. Um, If you read some C.S. Lewis around it, that's a bit of another sermon altogether. But the resurrection is God's final declaration that God is for the body. If you want to know whether God loves your body, look at the resurrection. First, Jesus is the first fruits of all creation. And then in the end, all God's people will be raised with him in new physical life, where there will be no more death or mourning, crying or pain, because the former things will have passed away. Tom Wright again says this, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbour as yourself will last into God's future. 
These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Everything that we do now physically with our bodies has an impact in terms of building for God's kingdom. What we do now, Russell Crowe says in Gladiators, echoes in eternity. (laughs) Just in case you go to Gladiator for your source of wisdom like me. We're, We're elsewhere told to love the Lord with all our hearts, souls, mind and... Great, because I forgot those, so I'm glad you remembered. The first, heart is emotion, isn't it? Soul is a spiritual part of us in some sense. The mind is the mental part. The strength is the physical part. And there's deeper interpretations of it too. But in other words, love the Lord with your whole body is what we're being told. Love the Lord with your whole body, with everything that you are. So to the church in Corinth and to us today at St. Barnabas, Paul can say this to us. Why? Because he knows and has at the forefront of his mind that we have been bought with a price, at a price. The body is important. And that price is the blood of Jesus. In Christ, the body never loses its importance. Jesus physically modelled to us what it means to be truly human with all its physicality. So having looked at that, what Paul talks about, the body, in this passage, I've written here, what the heck are the Corinthians on about? I have the right to do anything. Paul's quoting them here. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, is his response. I have the right to do anything, he quotes them again, and his response is, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I have the right to do anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. God will destroy them both. These are more than likely slogans that slipped off the tongue of the prevailing culture at the time uh, and had somehow managed to infiltrate the thinking of the Corinthian church despite such a high view of the body Um, uh, which Paul is talking about. It sounds like an argument that says basically this. The body is just going to decay in the ground anyway, so it has no real moral significance. It's just here to process food for a while and then it's gone. Do what you want. Who cares? Slightly echoed in our culture today, maybe a little bit. But these statements are basically the opposite of what Paul's talking about. That's why at this point in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, actually, I think we've lost the truth of how God created our bodies. And he wants to bring the Corinthian church, as a young church in many ways, back to what it means to be authentically, truly human. So um, we can see how quickly this thinking um, applies to any part of life. If you take food for the stomach and stomach for the food, Pass me my tenth helping of potatoes. It doesn't matter. I just eat what I want. It has no consequence. And probably they use this slogan for sex and drink as well. Sex for the body and body for sex. And that's probably why Paul suddenly switches from food, as you'll see if you're holding the Bible before you, to talk about sexual immorality within the same sentence. He says the body is not for sexual immorality. 
It's a similar sense of the body not mattering, that they're applying to everything, including sex. So what does Paul do? As I've outlined already, he reminds them of the importance of the body. The body is for the Lord, the Lord is for the body, the Lord will raise your body. But then he reminds them of whose they are, and that they've been bought at a price. He says, live like you were bought, bought at a price. Paul gave them a radically different slogan. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. It matters. The body is not just going to be destroyed at the end. It's going to be raised. The body is not morally indifferent. It is for the glory of God. And Paul says, you've been bought at a price. Flee from sexual immorality. Anything other than the way God designed it. For our good. And to remind us of this, Paul quotes Genesis, the first covenant made between Adam and Eve. Uh, the, the part that goes, the two will become one flesh. And I think to really understand um, even a Christian view of sexuality, and even what Paul's talking about here, we have to recover um, this one flesh idea um, to understand it at all, to get, what Paul, to get to what Paul is getting at. And without this, we may as well go along with what the Corinthians were saying and adopt slogans such as, sex for the body, body for the sex, who cares, do what you want. There's no consequence on our bodies as our bodies are going to be thrown out anyway. But Paul says no. One flesh talks of two people becoming one. Two people becoming one. The Spice Girls nailed this in their very catchy song. You probably know the one I'm going to quote. It calls Become One. Tonight is the night. Come on. Come on, you must know it. Sing it with me. Tonight is the night. Where to? There you go. There you go. I've got it into a sermon. That is my life complete. There we go. They, whether they knew it or not, were talking about covenant, which is ultimately what Paul is talking about. Um, there, there, by the way, if you're ever stuck in theology, do go to all the Spice Girls albums um, and they will become a great source for you of uh, great wisdom. Take that out of the recording. Uh, but this is marriage. They're talking about marriage, whether they knew it or not, a covenant, not just a legal arrangement for the purpose of inheritance rights, but a covenant, a binding and permanent agreement, not just a physical act with no consequence. In the marriage ceremony, we do not ask couples to pledge that they feel love for one another. I don't know whether you've ever noticed this. We don't ask couples to even pledge to be in love with one another, which is surprising sometimes. What we say in a marriage ceremony is, will you love? Will you love? We ask for an exchange of vows or commitments. So basically, they make a covenant before God between one another. Not feel love, but will you love? See, God's ideal is for us to have a one flesh partner for all of our life. One sexual partner for all of our life. And this is within the context of covenant, marriage. The covenant of marriage is in an imperfect way and in a way that sometimes goes wrong. We all see it, we've all seen it go wrong. We are fallen in many ways. We don't get it right a lot of the time, so things go wrong. But marriage in an imperfect way, points to the perfect union, the oneness that we have with the Lord by the Spirit. We are made one with him, 
We are no longer our own, Paul says. And this oneness has been purchased for us in his blood. A covenant made. Aware we could never fulfill our part of it. We can try. He brought us out and fulfilled both sides of this binding permanent agreement. And we broke our side, which led to death. The consequence of breaking covenant in the Old Testament was often death. We broke our side with the life giver himself. Cut ourselves off from the life giver. What does it leave us with? It leaves us with death. And he took it on himself. Which ultimately led to the cross. Some of us may be thinking, well, I never had sex with anyone other than my spouse, or you're single, you've never had sex, or you're free, that's wonderful, keep living a holy life with the Lord. Keep living for Jesus in that area. But before any of us in this room start to feel smug about our own righteousness, as though somehow we've earned it, let me read you something else Jesus said. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I don't have to point out that it applies to women as well. You see, God's idea is not only that we would have one sexual partner for the rest of our lives, our spouse. His ideal that we would only think about having one sexual partner for our life, which would be our spouse. You see the way Jesus has raised the bar there? Does it feel slightly unattainable? Maybe. Any breaking from that ideal and anything that misses that mark involves adultery in the same way. It involves sexual immorality. That is quite a high bar. So next to God ideal, we technically are committing adultery every time that we think lustfully about someone or of having sex with anyone other than the person right now that we're married to which I'm pretty confident means almost everyone listening to this message and everyone in this room is an adulterer and we're all sexually immoral. Should we have a cheer? Or is that a bit dark in some way? I suggested at the 9am that we high-fived one another, but I felt that was a little bit too far. But we're in it together. We're in it together. And in doing this, as Jesus so often does, as Paul is pointing to, He's showing us that we're all sinners. We've all, we all have fallen minds, fallen hearts, that we are all far removed from God's ideal, whether we're married or not. And that we all need a saviour. We're in need of God's grace. It doesn't get old that we're in need of God's grace because we need it every day. We're far removed from that ideal, not just on the score of sexuality, but on a lot of things, thought, word, and deed. But that's why we have to give thanks, isn't it? It's why we were singing those songs earlier of thanksgiving, of what God's done. Because, praise God, he's not our cosmic judge. He's our Abba Father. He's our beloved Father. We're not defendants in a law court looking for exceptions as to how we can make our way to him. 
We're his beloved children. And we're bought at a price. So God meets us where we're at, as he always does. But particularly I need to say that this morning to us, I think. Meets us where we're at right now, right here, this morning. Whatever happened in the past doesn't matter. He meets us right here where we're at and he moves us forward. Because it's all the grace of God. It's all about receiving his grace and receiving the power of his love that transforms us from the inside out. Paul says flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's time to live life like you have a saviour. Like your body has been bought at a price. It's time to live like the kingdom of heaven is near, closer than the air that you breathe. And that every action is in line with that. It's time to live like you've been bought at a price. And this includes every part of us, but it definitely, Paul is saying, includes our bodies and what we do with them. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. The Lord will raise your body. Live like you've been bought at a price. Let's pray together. If the band would like to come up now as well. So I'd like to speak a prayer over us this morning. Um, I just want to affirm our identity in Christ, um, if that's okay. Um, So receive this where we are. And we come to God not with all our stuff trying to prove that we've been good enough or that we've made it there ourselves. That's not why we come with our hands like this open. We come with our hands like this open because we know we're empty-handed and desolate without grace. So this morning we come with our empty hands. So receive this prayer. St. Barnabas, you are defined by your new identity that you have in Christ Jesus. You have been declared righteous before God. You have been cleansed by God. And you have been set apart from your sins by God the Father in the name of his Son, by the power of the Spirit. You are new. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are loved, you are accepted, you are significant because he made you. And now receive his grace. Receive his mercy. Receive his love. And live like you've been bought at a price. Amen.